Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. Thought experiments. I love it. Thought experiments for business, for jujitsu, and for life. I think that I was talking to our good friend, Will, the other day, and he had asked me, what books am I really reading right now? What am I obsessed with right now? And I told him about mental models because you and I have really been obsessed with three things, and they're all coming together, I think, in 2022. We've always been obsessed with business and and how to make money. We've always kind of been obsessed and the end game has always been happiness, right? Like the reason we do everything is because we're searching to be happier people. And searching for truth and being a better thinker is something that I'm just so obsessed with right now. And I think when we're growing up, we make these split second decisions and we don't even know that we're using Many, many mental models, it's a little tongue twister there, to make these decisions. When I was younger, I was using thought experiments a lot. I didn't know I was using thought experiments. But I think that once you know you're using something, it becomes that more, it becomes more powerful, yeah. uh, if that makes any sense. So that was a long-winded way of saying I'm very obsessed with mental models right now. I'm very obsessed with becoming a better thinker because I want to be able to make better decisions. And and starting to ask why, why do I want to make better decisions? It's because we understand that time, or at least for me, I understand that time, well, we both understand, but for me, this is my reason is that time is is the most important commodity. And when you make bad decisions, it's just such a time suck. Yes. You know, I mean, it's like you take one step forward only to take 10 steps back. And so if you can make better decisions, you have more control of your time and you're making better use of your time. So, and the past couple of podcasts, we've been talking about some very powerful mental models. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about another one, which is thought experiments. And a thought experiment really is just that. It's still a scientific experiment where you have a question. And then once you develop a question, you have to do your research. And then once you do your research, you come up with some sort of a hypothesis, um, you know, an educated guess on what the outcome will be. And then you run the experiment. The only difference is, is you're not going to, it's not a tangible or physical experiment. It's, it's a thought experiment. It's an experiment that you run in your mind. And then at the end of it, you go ahead and you draw conclusions based on that. And in life, we always do it. I mean, when you take business, for example, you asked me a real um, interesting question the last time. Well, why did I choose one business over another? And, you know, Sally and I have started uh, three or four businesses up until this point. And every business, we kind of run a thought experiment, right? And we go through these, we, we basically, we ask a question, why do we want to start this business over another business? We do our research, we come up with a hypothesis, we run these thought experiments, and then we draw conclusions and make decisions from there. I want to talk to you about something a little bit more deeper than that, Um, Because we're in a very interesting time, a time where I think thought experiments are being played out on a high level because you run thought experiments a lot of times when you're playing chess. If I move here 
what most likely will this cause my opponent to do? We do this in jujitsu. We do this in boxing, right? If I make this move, what are the uh, chances that my opponent is going to do this? And if he does this, then I will do this. And the thing about thought experiments is oftentimes there's never a definitive answer because there's an infinite amount of things that can happen. But one of the things that I can tell you is that I, in my old job, where we used to we used to chase bad guys a long time ago, yeah. and what would happen is that there was a infinite amount of things that could happen when, let's say, you had a bad guy cornered in, right? And with experience, you would be able to develop patterns, right? Patterns and probabilities of what most likely will happen because you've done this a thousand times. And out of those thousand times, 90% of the time, this is what they do. And so now you can come up with some better decisions based off probability, but always understanding that the map is not the territory. What happened last time won't absolutely mean that it's going to happen this time. And there's just some things you just can't plan for. But what you can do is recognize patterns and come up with better decisions based on that. And history tells us a lot. And I think that's why it's good that we talked about maps, um, because kind of like what's going on right now with Russia and Ukraine, um, there's a lot in history that we can learn from what's happening right now uh, with Russia and Ukraine. And you can kind of run these thought experiments. One of the thought experiments that I know a lot of people at the highest levels in the Pentagon and um, and in the White House and all over the world, um, they're wondering, is this going to be the beginning of World War III? That is the question. And so now everybody's kind of doing their research, and the research is going to come from history. They're going to look back at past events that are very similar, and from there, they're going to come up with a hypothesis, and then they're going to come up with um, these thought experiments. And, it, and you know, the funny thing is we may actually use artificial intelligence to help us a lot with these thought experiments. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to go ahead and draw conclusions. And based off those conclusions, will determine future policy on our next move. And it will determine whether or not it's checkmate <laughs> or we're going to castle or what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, what are, your th what, what are your thoughts on thought experiments? And I know, you know, what was really interesting when I was thinking about this, I was like, man, Carter reads so much more than I do, and I'm so glad that you do because it's like I don't actually have to read any books because um, <laughs> you're just a great wealth of, of knowledge and history. But it was so interesting how you were telling me the story about how, you know, how World War One. a lot of people believed that it was chance, but you can really run these thought experiments, yeah. right? Yeah. And... Um, Ask yourself, okay, well, if 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 the the it was it the duke or the archbishop, if he wasn't uh, assassinated by chance, you know, um, maybe there wouldn't have been World War One. And there's a lot of things going on right now. You know, one of the questions I have right now is, you know, I think that is the question. You know, is this going to be World War Three? And you can go ahead and you can run a thought experiment based on history, yeah. and um, draw some conclusions. What are your thoughts? Do you think this is the beginning of World War III? Oh, man. I hope not. Um, a deep question. Yeah, right. yeah I, know. I better not get this one wrong. Uh, I should just say, yep, it is. And then what happens, <laughs> I'm like a genius. I, I'd rather look paranoid than, than naive. But, um, man, it's, it's, it is interesting. So what you were referring to, uh, that was actually, uh, I should clarify, that was hardcore history. Uh, 
what's the guy's name? Dan Carl, Dan Carson, Hardcore History. Okay. Uh, so it's a podcast, and he talks about he does a long thing about World War One, and it was Franz Ferdinand um, was assassinated by the Young Turks, basically, and he was a politician, 1914, and it was really it was sort of a matter of chance they were trying to assassinate him but they and he was he and his wife were on sort of a parade route and they tried to bomb i think a bridge they were on and tried to do a bunch of different things and nothing worked uh, like the bomb didn't go off and they thought he was going to do this and that and just it was sort of a series of errors and then he and his wife were being driven by this guy and again this is 1914 so cars were not exactly reliable at this point they took a wrong turn they started to back up and the car stalled out. And back then, I think it was a whole process to get it. It's not like you just turn the key again. You know, you had to crank it and do this and that. And one of the guys who was supposed to be sort of on the hunt for them, one of the assassins, just happened to be right where their car stalled. And I've heard different stories that he was getting a sandwich or he's getting a coffee or he just happened to be there. You know, you hear like different versions. But either way, he's like, oh, look, they're the people I'm supposed to kill. And pulls out his gun, he shoots them both, and he kills them both. And because of the way sort of pre-World War I was, I mean, you still had the Ottoman Empire, you had the Austro-Hungarian Empire, you had empires back then. So empires were very famous for having allegiances. So it's like, okay, we won't invade you, but if somebody invades us, you'll help us fight them off. Like, and this was the way of the world. I mean, we just my wife and I were watching Vikings again. And like, that was one of the Rolo came from France. And he's like, if you guys invade me or like, whatever, I'm, you're going to help me. If something else, someone invades you, I'm going to help you. Like that was, that was sort of the way of the war, world at this point. So because of this, like, you know, one country declares war on another, which means that now this, this, these other countries that have these allegiances with this country have to declare war on the other, which means these, it just snowballs very quickly and within like four weeks, you're six weeks, you're basically all of Europe is fighting each other. Uh, so accelerated very quickly. Um, so you have that, I guess that potential with something like this. And again, I don't know enough of this history, especially Russian history to really comment on this in great depth, but I do know that the idea of, well, this was our land before, we're just taking it back that was Hitler's uh, argument for invading Poland was like, well, this used to be part of Germany and a lot of these people still speak German and they want to be part of Germany. Again, we're just taking a little territory back. What's the big deal? And there was a lot of people, uh, you know, that, that felt that way. And there was somebody like Winston Churchill was like, no, no, we can't trust this dude. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop when he takes this. And, and there's sort of the idea of like, okay, if Putin is able to take back the Ukraine, what else from the USSR is he going to want to take back? And are we going to stop him? You know, there, there can becomes that sort of question. There becomes the question of where does Iran fit in this thing? Because they've always sort of had a little bit of allegiance with Russia. Like, are they going to use this as an opportunity to be like, maybe we should invade Iraq again, you know, or maybe we should, you know, we like, they, are they going to use this as, as an excuse to sort of try and expand? And then I think probably most pressingly is China going to look at this as a chance of saying, well, since we're talking about formerly uh, our territory, Taiwan is right here. We think it's part of China. The NBA agrees with us, I think. So uh, maybe we should do this right now. And maybe we have some sort of agreement with Putin as well. So I, I think there's a lot of that fear. Um, certainly the consequences for World War are different because of the bombs dropping on Hiroshima and Nagasaki because of the fact that 
that the United States was willing to go atomic. Um, you know, there, there's the, the idea, are they willing to go nuclear? But now you have Russia has nuclear weapons as well. I mean, like, the, so now it, it becomes sort of a, the same question that was raised during the Cold War. Like, you know, maybe this is just the new Cold War. Um, I don't know. It's it certainly, you could argue it could be a world war simply, maybe the term war becomes different because is a war like everyone is actively fighting or is it something where it starts affecting the economies and, and things like that on a, on a larger level? Because that I see for sure happening, at least in the short run. I mean, like the Russian economy is going to be severely affected with the sanctions, at least for a while. Um, you know, that means that energy prices are probably going to go up everywhere. That's going to affect our economy. Uh, we are already seeing inflation happen even before this. Uh, certainly interest rates are going to start going up. So from a real estate point of view, to me, it becomes interesting from a buying point point of view and maybe a little bit scarier from a selling point of view, but things were way too easy to sell before. So that kind of balances out. So I think it's, you, you can certainly play out the different scenarios. Um, I think the important thing to always do is to rather than getting freaked out about stuff, it's like you play out the scenario and you look for the opportunity. And I don't mean to sound callous about this because I know people are dying and it's different if it's affecting you. And but that the way. opportunity can mean a lot of different things, right? It doesn't necessarily mean it have to be uh, business or commerce or capitalism or anything like that. You're just looking for the opportunity. And I think that that's what you're always doing in the game of life. Yeah. You're playing chess, right? Yeah. And you're trying to predict your next move and you're hoping that your next move is, is going to be the right one. You know, one of the things that I think I've been thinking about um, mainly just today, but from a strategic standpoint is why now? Yeah. Why yeah. now is really the question that I'm trying to figure out. And it almost makes me feel like we're not seeing the whole board. We're right. missing something because it was completely unprovoked yeah. from what, from, from, you know, everything that we've been able to see. And we're not privy to everything. I understand that. But if it was unprovoked, then it could have been done last year or the year before that yes. at any particular time. Another thing that I'm starting to see a lot is social media is you're already seeing the, what I want to call, and I, and I hope I don't get any sort of, well, there's nobody that listens, so any, I won't <laughs> receive any backlash, but like um, Russian uh, propaganda machine. Yeah. Right. Like I'm already seeing on TikTok things uh, on um, Putin that it's makes him look like he's this hero that's supposedly from American accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm just like, no, these are yeah. these are fake accounts. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to bolster his reputation. Yeah. And this idea that they've manipulated um, our elections. Yeah. Like, I feel like we're just, we're missing something. Like this is the culmination and the beginning of, uh, of something else. One of the things you know, my son has recently started to take up chess mm. and by no means am I a chess master, but, but we've been playing a lot lately just because he's so into it. And when I'm stuck, if I'm not going to castle as, uh, as what you should do when you don't know what to do, you just castle. Um, what I do now is I just move upon one one space, mm -hmm. and it's basically the equivalent of throwing a feint in boxing. I want to see what my opponent's reaction is going to be, yeah. and I feel like all these small little moves are just these feints, 
and trying to see what our reaction is going to be. And then therefore that they can come up with their plan on how they're going to respond and, and react to it. But the question really is why now? And I think that's an important question. I hope it gets answered at some point because um, just from a, a student of history and a student of business and life um, yeah. and strategic planning and tactics, I want to know what is important about now where they saw an opening yeah. and maybe this isn't the, this is not even the end game. This is just one more move in a, in, in a, and, and we're not seeing the, we're not even seeing the end game yet of, of what, this is just one smaller move in, in a grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. Because that brings up good points because, you know, okay. So Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, which has been collapsed for over 30 years now. So it's like, okay, it didn't just happen. Um, the other argument I hear is that, uh, you know, Russia was, you know, essentially kicked out of NATO and Putin wanted to get into NATO in like 2007, 2008, 13, 14 years ago and was denied. So he's pissed about that. And now there's talk of Ukraine being in NATO, which sort of makes it almost a U.S. ally or again, it has that same connotation we were talking about before. Like, OK, if somebody messes with you, they're messing with us type of thing. But that. That didn't just happen. Like none of the stuff just happened. Um, you know, is it because Biden's in office instead of Trump? Is it because of the timing of COVID? I mean, like, could you do a? Could they have done this two years ago when COVID, when when people were worried about a worldwide pandemic? Like, are soldiers going to be willing to fight a war during that time? I don't know. Um, you know, we were talking about the the other thought experiment, which we've talked about through history, is. Um, catastrophic events tend to end other catastrophic events. So basically, you know, you can take the Spanish flu sort of ended with the end of World War I. Um, the Great Depression ended with the beginning of World War II. Is potentially World War III the end of the COVID pandemic? Like, does, is that what's going to happen? Because part of what I think has kept COVID quote unquote relevant is the fact that the world is connected in a way it's never been before. It's our first social media pandemic. So you get to you know look through Google, see all the news, you see everything that's happening in COVID all over the world at the same time. Never had that before. So, and you hear all these statistics of like, you know, they're doing enormous amounts of testing on something. So you're seeing like, oh, there's all these cases a day, but they're testing you know, 10 times, 100 times more people than would be tested normally? Or what if you tested for the flu every year? You tested a million people a day for the flu all year long. It might terrify you how many people actually had the flu. So if you remove that from the consciousness in terms of it's not really the main news now, everything's Russia, Ukraine now, does that mean the pandemic ends? Like if you have enough Russian, Ukraine news for, let's say this happens for two months or three months, of nothing but news about war, does COVID just go away because it's no longer on the forefront? I don't know. Like that's gonna be an interesting thing. That is an interesting thought experiment, right? Because if you say it is, then what does that say about, you know, human nature? What does that say about people and and and, and how we think and, and move well, forward? It brings the question, I mean, you can ask the question, which I think is a worthwhile question I'm asking was, was this actually a pandemic? Was it really? Or was it something that was created to become a pandemic through marketing? And I'm not saying it's intentionally marketing. I'm saying that like because of the way social media and all this stuff is set up, it was primed to 
create panic on a level that has never been able to be created before. And once you had that, once that sort of, you know, horse out of the barn, you really can't get it back in because now you have people that are smart people that are doing things that make no sense. And once they start preaching that and propagating that, you see that all the time. You see it, you know, you see the person driving a car wearing a mask, somebody riding a bicycle, not wearing a helmet, wearing a mask. You see like just all this stuff that makes no sense, but because people see other people do, oh God, well, they're, they must know something. I don't, I should do it too. Like it becomes all that. Um, that is sort of an inherent human nature. It makes sense for survival. I mean, you see people doing other things in, in the, you know, primitive times, like that makes sense. You, you should do it too. If everyone's running, you probably should run with them because there's something bad they're running away from. So, and then the other thing that history has shown us is that those are opportunities. The reason why governments study human nature is because we want to, well, I say we, as on my part, I am not, but they want to uh, know how to consolidate power and how to make more money, right? Yeah. That's usually what it comes down to. How can we profit off of this, but also how can we consolidate power and control people? Yeah, and how can we, you know, you could look at and this. And this is going back to, so I just want to be clear. This is not saying whether or not this was like, you know, the pandemic was real. I mean, in terms of like spread all over the world, very contagious, millions and millions of people died, all that real. But would it have been what it is had social media not been there? and create this whole new animal? And would people have been able to, governments, would they have been able to apply the type of control they applied? And would certain uh, people have been able to profit the way they have profited, right? And that's another thing is that once you begin to profit on something, you wanna learn how to milk it, right? Like I want want to profit off this thing as long as I can. This is a cash cow. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the thing where, where people talk about the, you know, why would governments want this? And it's like, well, it gives them, I mean, look at what's happening in Canada, where you had the trucker convoy. You had GoFundMe that raised like nine million bucks for them. And then GoFundMe first was like, oh, we think this is a terrorist organization full of white supremacists because that's what Trudeau said. So therefore, we're going to give your money to another charity. That was the first thing they tried to do. And people are like, no. And they're like, okay, we're just going to give you your money back. Then there was another group that that raised about the same amount of money. And basically what they did was the Canadian government was able to track whoever gave money to it and basically strong arm banks into freezing people's accounts who gave money to this trucker convoy. And the, and the auspices, the guys that like, oh, they're they're funding terrorism. And so people literally would give like 50 bucks to this thing and have their bank accounts frozen. So, which which they made the case, they strength because right now what's in the news a lot also is the idea of cryptocurrency. Governments are afraid that they're going to lose um, power um, because you know they they they're relying on being able to control the fiat, the yes, the, the, the government backed money, right? So what happened? Crypto like took a huge hit because now it's fair game for governments to find out who owns the crypto, who to seize bank accounts to trace it back. The very purpose of crypto is being interfered upon by governments under the guise of what saving terrorists by like, like so a bunch of truckers come in and decide we're not going to move because we don't like your vaccine mandate. So they're terrorists now. So we're going to take it because it's like, there's the old 
quote, never let a good crisis go to waste. And governments want That's good. power. Like you never see a government do less of something. They do more of it. You create de government divisions and stuff. They don't like say, hey, you know what? We're going to shut this division down. They just double down and double down and double down. You can look at anything, the war on drugs, you know, any sort of government created thing. It just gets more powerful and they have to they have to argue their budget every year in the hopes of getting at least the same amount of money, if not more money. So, again, using the thought experiment of just what motivates people and what motivates a group to they they want to survive first and they want to increase second. I mean, that's a business, that's a group, that's anything. So when you start giving emergency power to somebody. They want that, not necessarily just for the ego thing and stuff like that, but look at all the other things they get to get done that they normally wouldn't be able to because they're not letting a crisis go to waste. And so. Right, because normally it would have to go through Congress and they would have to jump through all these hoops and there would be a lot more transparency to people. But now they can just, you know, eliminate all the red tape and just get things done. Yeah. Yeah. So and that, that to me is that's that's where people should question that and object to that and just at a certain point just say no and not comply i, I mean it, it's it's kind of interesting that um you still have kids wearing masks in school yeah even though there's no mask mandates they're, they're taking them down except for the least vulnerable population that it gets damaged the most by this too and it's like it's funny because you, you start without giving too much away I know somebody who is well connected to the agency that is guiding all these things. Maybe their initials are CDC. I'm not sure what it stands for. <laughs> and I see how affected this person is becoming because their own daughter is now having all these learning issues because she's been wearing a mask for two years and she's dyslexic and she has all these other issues. And it's like you start seeing the conflict of somebody who has created these rules under the best of intentions. I never want to say it's like a malicious thing. You, you want to protect people. I get that. I get that instinct. But the consequences, the blowback is so much worse than the initial act. And now they're seeing the effects of their own child of two years of isolation, two years of not being able to watch somebody's lips move when they're at a very developmental age of speaking. And they're seeing all the consequences and it's causing enormous amounts of emotional stress on this person. And so I, I wonder about all these things. That, that to me is always an interesting thought experiment and something that I wish the United States would do more often, which is, you know, what is the blowback of this? Okay, we're going to do this thing because we want to put this person in power or we want to do this or that. How are the people who live in this country going to feel about us, the United States, putting this person in power, usually by, oops, making the other person die, disappear, go away, blah, blah, blah. Maybe there will be some resistance. Maybe, you know, and it's like, but they, it's never, it seems like those thought experiments are never done. And I think that's an important thing to do really with anything. And because we're both in business, you tend to think this way anyway, because you're always looking at, you have finite resources of time and money and whatnot. So you're always looking at something going, okay, okay. Is it better to, you know, go for something more established that's safer, that usually has less return? Or like you and I were talking before we got on air, like I'm looking at these offices and they're not in a great neighborhood. But I really do think given the amount of money other investors are spending, which is a hundredfold more than I'm willing to spend, given that they're spending the money in that area, 
maybe in a few years, these cheaper properties in not great areas will become very valuable. So I could make a lot more money, but I'm taking a lot more risk. Okay, well, then I start playing the risk scenario. And okay, well, do I want to have all risky things? Or I want to have some things that are more reliable, you know, kind of getting a single, getting a double. These I'm going to try and make more into a home run, but it could strike out too. You know, I can use the baseball analogy. The home run hitter is usually the guy who strikes out the most. The guy who gets the singles and the doubles doesn't strike out as much, but he usually doesn't hit the home runs. So yeah. um, so it's it's always something I think that's important to do with these things. Um, but I think we should also make one more caveat, which is that there's the danger of overthinking everything. Yes. It's a time where you can you you have to act at a certain point, knowing that you're never going to know all this stuff. You're never yeah, going to because there is an inf- there is really an infinite amount of things that can happen, and and you know one of the examples is why we can't predict the weather unless it's like we can predict the stars and their movements, but yeah. we can't predict the weather until it's like two weeks out, right? And it's because any sort of small little variable can change, you know, can can create an infinite amount of different possibilities. Yep. And so you're limited again by your experience and, and your knowledge. There was this um, Chinese proverb that I like, and it says, the frog in the well knows nothing of the mighty ocean, right? He's only aware of what's going on in the well. And I think Plato had an allegory too, like the allegory of the cave, like someone that's born in the cave, lives in the cave, never seen the world outside of it. So they can only make decisions based off the experiences they had within the cave. And there's a whole world outside that you just cannot see, right? Um, But what what happens a lot of times when you do these thought experiments is that you there's not a definitive answer, and sometimes there's not even a good answer. For example, taking it back to things like World War One, World War Two, World War Three, there's usually not a good answer. There's just an answer that's better than all the other bad answers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, with with a lot of these, you don't know until it's hindsight. That's the worst part is that people can say like, you know, if let's just take World War II for a second. So, again, Germany invades Poland. Neville Chamberlain, who was the um, prime minister of Britain at the time, flew out, met with Hitler. They signed this agreement. Him, Hitler saying, I'm not going to do anything more. And like and it doesn't make Neville Chamberlain an idiot. You know what I mean? Like because many times it's like if you think about it, if 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 Biden had just reached out to Putin, let's just say like, like he didn't, but let's just say that this happened, like, oh, if Biden reached out to Putin, Putin was like, listen, I, these are my grievances. And Biden's like, you know what? You've got a point. I get it. Let's let's figure out something. And he did. And there was no invasion. Biden would look like a genius. So if Neville Chamberlain had gone to Hitler and, and said, listen, like, what are you doing? Like, you just just stop doing this. Like, can we get you this, that? And and I understand your economy's in bad shape. What can we do to pump money into it? You guys are probably good at making cars. Let's make this happen. And Hitler's like, good idea. And boom, they shake on it. Neville Chamberlain would have been a genius. And it's not necessarily a bad idea to reach out to somebody and say like, you know, there's so many conflicts in this world that are caused by people not communicating. Like, oh, I'm not going to talk to them. Like, and, and it escalates and escalates and escalates. So, but in hindsight, you're like, oh, it's Hitler. What an idiot. Well, yeah, but it, he wasn't Hitler, Hitler at that point. You know what I mean? Like it was it was, it was, was unique of Winston Churchill to have the insight that he did. And Churchill was probably wrong about a lot of stuff. He was probably the guy who was like, everyone's out to get you. I mean, maybe he was that kind of guy where you're like, oh, you're always saying this. You're always saying like, you know, you're always the paranoid guy. But sometimes the paranoid guy is right. 
but you don't know this until hindsight. So that's the hardest thing is that Alex Jones just jumped up and was like, yeah, yeah, brother. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I, yeah, I think it's 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 good to do. But like all all of the uh, sort of mental models we're talking about, um, a mental model without action. At some point to me. Becomes somewhat useless. I mean, like for, for us, for our life, you know what I mean? And I think yeah. that's that's always what I want to emphasize with this is that it is good to, to think things through. But I always think about it with investing because I've met guys that are investors that have still have not done an investment four, five, 10 years, 15 years down the line because they're overthinking everything. Oh, what if this, what if that? At some point- And they've, and they, and they've missed the mark on what a mental model is yes. for. A mental model is for, so you can ultimately take an action and they have completely missed the mark yeah. because really what the mental model is for is so that way you can make better decisions quicker. It's yeah. supposed to help you take action yes. quicker. Yes. Not slower and cause yep. this paralysis by analysis type of effect. Yep. Yep. That's just fear. And I think what we learn from everything when it comes to business, when it comes to politics, when it comes to selling, the greatest sell and the most powerful sell, just studying human nature, yeah. is going to be fear. If yes. you want to control people, it's fear. Yeah. The reason why these mental models don't work is because well, they don't work in these in these real big political situations that involve war and pandemics and things like that, is that people don't, they don't really take, they lose logic once they become fearful. Yeah. So you, can, you can't really learn from history. You forget history mm -hmm. because once a person is in fear, they start making these very, very bad decisions. Yep. So one of the ways to control people, one of the ways... Uh, the government can consolidate power um, or anybody consolidate power is by putting people in fear and then you offer the solution, right? Yes. I can protect you. Again, yeah. does this remind you of anyone? It reminds me of Hitler, right? Exactly kind of what he came to the people. We're in, you know, the country's in shambles. Uh, you guys are in fear and I'm going to come and I'm going to save the day, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you see this a lot in business with insurance, right? Like it's, it's, it's a, you know, that's the fear business, right? And, yeah. um, it's one of the biggest businesses and in industries in the world is the insurance business, right? So, yeah. 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 So yeah, it, it's, uh, these are good tools in the toolbox, good tools to have. And it's good to keep thinking about these things. Um, because I think the other thing too, is like you said, the fear controls you, but I think if you have good mental models and a good if you're a good thinker about things, it's able to alleviate the fear because you're yes. able to put it in perspective and human motivation and stuff like that and start seeing what's what's actually happening to a degree. Um, and then it becomes more of a like a like a mental exercise versus, oh my God, everything's gonna end. We're all gonna die. Like that that almost never gets you anywhere and no almost nobody ever makes good decisions thinking from a place of fear. So it helps to remove fear by by turning things into more motivation and turning things into into an exercise. So I think that's what they're good for. I'm gonna keep doing them. I love it. I love yeah. it, my brother. I And I think that's a, a good spot to end on for mental models is about just uh, removing fear. You know, I think that's great. And when you do that, you can make more logical decisions. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Boom. Boom. To re-listen to this episode or to check out our past episodes, 
go to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Also, check us out on Apple iTunes. Like, review, subscribe. Shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. Also, shout out to Yellow Pine Investments. Uh, Robles makes custom geese. They make custom warehouses. Be sure to check them out. Check out uh, Steve Fordensky, Jiu-Jitsu on the go. And check out our boy, um, Calum Callista, with his sneaky submissions. And if you're in the Austin area, check out Chaparral Moving. They have moving down to a science. I am Mo. That is my brother Carter. And as always, we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Robles newsletter to get the exclusive content at robles.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat. <laughs>